It's something for nothing. The Rush fan cast, Steve and Jerry, about, uh, what, about 40 miles apart from each other today, Jer? I think so. We are still sheltering in place because of the coronavirus outbreak. Sadly, we are not together. No, we are looking at each other through Skype. Yeah, we, we've That's got a, a cool setup going here. We've, no, got a, we've, got a new, we've got a new machine to record our podcast, which is working out great so far. And I can see you on Skype and you can see me. That's right. And you have a, a nice um, sheltering in place beard going. Yeah. And so do you. I figure, yeah. you know, if I'm not going into work, why shave? Right. It's not important, right? No. You, you can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast, Instagram the RushCast, email Jerry. The emails keep coming in and we appreciate them at the RushCast at gmail.com. Our podcast is available everywhere, Jer. Anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find us. And clearly you found it. Me? Well, you, the listener, has found it. I'm oh, talking okay, okay. to the listeners. I'm not talking to you all the time. <laughs> sometimes I'm talking to you. Sometimes I'm talking to the listeners. Clearly they have found the podcast. Please rate us if you have a moment while you're listening on your favorite podcast app. And as always, Jer, the base intro to today's podcast was done by Lex. Yeah. And of course, did we get a comment? We got a Twitter. We got a Twitter comment about Lex. We did. What did the Twitter comment say? Let me pull, let me pull it up real quick. Okay. The Twitter comment was from at the lofty Oaks, which we love their Twitter handle. <laughs> wow. That that's timely. It is timely. I listened to about 20 different podcasts on a variety of subjects. Yours has become my number one favorite and Lex's bass intros are the bomb. Wow. Yeah. That's high praise. The bomb is very high praise. Oh, now we have pressure. We're this guy's favorite. <laughs> so today, you know, Jer, I know when we did a farewell to Kings, we said we weren't kidding around. And this time we're really not kidding around. We are not. We're doing hemispheres today. I know hemispheres is just sonically one of the greatest albums. I know I said that about a farewell to Kings, but this, this album, this, this takes it to another level, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. And I know a lot of our, our regular listeners have been looking forward to us talking about Hemispheres. I hope we do it justice. I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about this album, Jer. Yeah, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. First with the favorite podcast thing, and, and now, now this. Yeah, I know. Okay, let's see if we can do it. Yeah, let's see if we can do it. Before we get to that, though, Jer, I want to do a Twitter poll for you. I have a Twitter poll. As usual, yeah, I love Twitter polls. If you recall... A couple of weeks ago, we discussed A Farewell to Kings, as you just mentioned, and I asked the Twitter Rush fans what their favorite song on side one of A Farewell to Kings is. Do you need to be reminded of the two songs on side one of A Farewell to Kings, Jer? Um, no. I think it's, I'm going to say Xanadu. Xanadu was a landslide winner. 78% chose Xanadu. And A Farewell to Kings is such a great song, but Xanadu... You got to vote Xanadu. Yeah, Xanadu is, I can't, I can't, I, I said everything I could say about it. I used every superlative I knew. Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with it. Good going, Twitter. Good going, Twitter. So Hemispheres, Jared, is Rush's sixth studio album, released October 29th, 1978. We were nine years old. Wow. We were young tykes who had no idea about Rush, and Rush fans all over the world were overjoyed by Hemispheres. I can imagine. And what were we doing? I don't even know what I did yesterday. Never mind what I did when I was nine. Nothing important is what we were doing. That's right. It was recorded at Rockfield Studios in Wales and then mixed at Trident Studios in London. So they recorded at Rockfield the same studio they did Farewell to Kings. And for whatever reason, Jared, this album does not sound the same to me as A Farewell to Kings. What do you think? No. No, it doesn't sound anything like A Farewell to Kings. And what do you think the reason is for that? Hey, man, I don't have the slightest idea. It sounds so, well, you know, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the, the uh, Hemispheres chord, the Lifeson chord. Yes. At the beginning of uh, that chord, I think, just sets the tone for the entire album. It's so open mm -hmm. and airy and otherworldly. I don't, I don't know what they do. I'm not, you know, I, I, I couldn't be in a studio and figure out what they're doing. But to me, A Farewell to Kings just has this, echoey sort of quality to it. Maybe it's because they recorded portions of it outdoors. Maybe not. Maybe. I, I don't know what it is, but this album just has a cleaner sound to me. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I don't think it sounds better or worse than a farewell to Kings, just different. They both sound great in a different way to me. Yeah, I, I absolutely I agree with that. I think, you know, at this point in their career, 
from here on out, every album sounds completely different, if you ask me. Yeah. A different band, every album. Yeah. This was produced by Terry Brown, who produced all of their albums from Fly By Night right through Signals. And it reached number 14 in Canada, Jer. Great. I know I had said uh, on previous podcasts that Canada seems to fall behind the United States, but this time reached number 14 in Canada and only 41 in the United States. All right. I mean, that's not good, but yeah. Yes, good for Canada. Two singles from the record, Jer. Can you guess what the two singles are? I think you can do it. Uh, the Trees. Yes. And hmm, Circumstances. Nice job. The two short Thank songs. You. Very easy to figure out. I, I paused just for, for the dramatic quality, you know. Yeah. So this album took two months, Jer, for them to, to record. And A Farewell to Kings took only four weeks. So they admittedly were not as prepared for this album as they were previous albums. Yeah. And they went back to the, those studios in the studio in Wales because they had such an easy and interesting time recording mm -hmm. Farewell to Kings. And they just, for some reason, couldn't conjure up that kind of feeling again. Not that you can hear it on the, on the record, but they had a different feeling recording this album than they did. It was very yeah. tough. And I think A Farewell to Kings was more well rehearsed. I think, you know, we mentioned that Xanadu was recorded in one take because they had rehearsed that song many, many times before they went into the studio. Right. And for this record, I don't think they rehearsed as much. They were uh, just coming off the A Farewell to Kings tour. So they just kind of went right into the studio and not as prepared. So, of course, when you're not as prepared, it takes, takes longer. Yeah, and they definitely, as impossible as it sounds, they upped their game. They purposefully made these songs even more difficult to play than their usual songs. Oh purpose. yeah, absolutely. Getty said they greatly underestimated the level of overachievement they were shooting for. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with Getty. <laughs> <laughs> and after Neil said they had to take a six week vacation after recording this record just to recover. Wow. Because it was just so, it was just so grueling. That's a long time. That's a long time for them. Yeah, six weeks is a long time for them. That's the longest vacation they've had since, since Neil joined the band, I'm sure. Yeah. So they recorded the music first for this record, Jared, and they did not make sure that Getty could sing over the tracks. That's just for, was that just for Hemispheres, or was it for the whole album? No, the, the whole album. Oh. So they recorded the music for the whole album, and then they went back to the studio in London to record the vocals. Wow. And I think that the problem, though, that Getty had was with the song Hemispheres, not the other songs. Because yeah. clearly there's no vocals on La Villa Strangiato. And I don't think there was an issue vocally with circumstances in the trees. But with the Hemispheres song, I mean, his register is so high. Yeah, it's out of, it's out of this world. The strange thing is that nobody could figure that out. Don't you think that's strange? That people are just like, hey, can, it, can you actually sing in the key that we're recording in? It's sort of like when the U.S. was sending some kind of probe to, um, I think, the moon, and they got measurements from the European Space Agency, but they forgot to translate the numbers from metric to the standard that we use, and they just overshot the moon completely, and they lost the, <laughs> they lost the spaceship. Wow. So they literally overshot the moon. They literally did. Wow. That's crazy. It just reminds me of that because I was just thinking that, you know, at some point, you would think that someone would just point that out. Well, well, that's what Getty said. I forget where I read this, but he said that he was surprised that Terry Brown did not point it out, that Terry would just let them do what they wanted to do and never commented on things like that. He didn't realize until after they got rid of Terry Brown and they started working with Peter Collins, and Peter Collins would say, hey, why don't you try playing this in this key or, or that key? or a step lower, so maybe you can sing better to it. They would try different things. Yeah. Where Terry Brown would just say, oh, great, this sounds great. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess they were, he was like a member of the band for the most part, right? So he was just going along with what everybody was doing. Right, and that could have been part of the reason why they eventually parted ways with him. Yeah. Because they weren't getting that kind of feedback that they needed. Yeah, probably. But as you said, at this time, he was probably a fourth member of the band, and they they uh, hadn't gotten to the point where they were going to jettison him at this point. Yeah. And he was a good producer. I mean, these albums sound great. Oh yeah. The albums sound great. 
Amazing. It's just amazing, too, that they all sound so different with the same producer. Well, that, that's know? a credit to the band because they were just constantly evolving. Constantly. Their sound was evolving. Their musicianship. I mean, everything. They would just try different things with every album. I wanted to yeah. read, Jer, uh, from the liner notes of the album, just just the instruments that they play. So Alex is listed as 6 and 12 string electric and acoustic guitars, classical guitar, Roland guitar synthesizer, and Taurus pedals. Okay. Neil, drums, orchestra bells, bell tree, timpani, gong, that's a new one, cowbells, temple blocks, wind chimes, and crotals, whatever that is. I don't know. You should look it up. And Getty, bass guitar, mini moog, Oberheim polyphonic, Taurus pedals, and of course vocals. That's, that's a lot of instruments. So every album, they would just add more to their arsenal. Yeah. A gong. That's always a great addition to a drum kit is the gong. Oh, yeah. That means you've made it, man. You got a gong back there? <laughs> You're a drummer, man. Who, who used to set the gong on fire? Was that um, Tommy Lee? Alex Van Halen, wasn't it? Oh, it was Alex Van Halen. That's right. <laughs> set that gong on fire. Then you've really made it. Not only do you have a gong, yeah. but it's on fire, baby. Yeah. When the back of your drum kit is burning. So, Jared, this song has six parts that we're going to break down. Yeah. It's a long song. It's a long and song. a complicated song. And it's a complicated song. I'm going to lean on you, Jared, because uh, you, you've got to interpret these lyrics for me. This is, uh, this is a tough one. This is a, an amazing song. This is an amazing song. It's an amazing song um, on its own, but it's also amazing that it picks up from the first part on the, at, at the end of A Farewell to Kings. I mean, who, what band has ever done that? No band has ever done that. Yeah, they start an epic song on one album without the actual blueprint, maybe, for the, how it's going to end. And then they come in and are just like, oh, we got to finish that song. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and it's weird. If, if you listen to them back to back, it, they fit together. They really do. They really do. That Hemispheres chord at the beginning that we know so well. Yeah. You could just splice it onto the end of Cygnus X1 book one. Yeah. And they fit seamlessly, I think. So you remember we interviewed Nathan Santos, right? I do. Yeah, that was a great interview. Uh, I emailed him and asked him if he could explain the Hemispheres chord. Oh, that's awesome. Well, he's a musician. Yeah. He'd be able to explain it a lot better than we could. That's for sure. Yeah, that's definitely true. This, this explanation is amazing. Because, you know, as I said earlier, that the sound is so airy and ethereal and otherworldly and mm -hmm. just... You know, is there another musician who has a, a chord named after them? No. So I, I don't know. But the Lifeson chord or the Hemispheres chord. You ready for this email? It could be a little long. I'm ready. Let's hear it. Okay. So I asked him about the Lifeson chord and why it has the effect it does. What is it about it musically that gives it that open, airy, otherworldly sound? So this is what he said. The Hemispheres chord is one that Alex uses in other places too. Digital Man. And Far Cry. I didn't know Digital Man, did you? I knew Far Cry. I didn't catch that. What, what about Headlong Flight? Isn't it in Headlong Flight also? Uh, no, I think it's in Far Cry. Okay. I could have sworn he used it in Headlong Flight also. I could be wrong. So Nathan says, the chord is in F sharp 7 suspended 4th. Okay. That means a lot. Uh, it is a chord that goes way back to the age of Baroque in the 17th and 18th century. The suspended fourth note above the grounding note, the root, was supposed to resolve in the chord's third. It created a momentary tension that was released fairly quickly as the individual voice moved as expected. Over time, those rules were challenged and ignored, and by the 20th century, Debussy and others wanted to hear chords for their sonorous effects and ignore the role of individual notes to move harmony. Getting this, Steve? This oh, sense? yeah. Sinking right in. Uh, Debussy used abstract discordant vertical chords statically, meaning he sounded them and didn't move away from them. The way that Lifeson voices the chord on his guitar sets up a tangy sound in the upper notes, the high strings of G, B, and E, and his voicing pits the suspended fourth note, B, and the note it's supposed to temporarily replace, the A sharp, which is the third of the chord, while simultaneously sounding the A sharp. It's played on the thicker G string, and the B as the open, thinner B string. The additional tangy sound is the open ringing E on the thinnest E string. It is creating a dissonant interval with the A sharp called a tritone, 
which in Bach's time was also supposed to move to a consonant sound to relieve the discordant sounds of the tritone interval. Wow. <laughs> you got that? That's geeking out, man. That is geeking out. There's a little bit more. Do you want me to read a little bit please, more? Please, please. Okay. That explains the harmonic rules and what has been broken to create an exotic quality with our perceptions. And I think that the acoustic nature of the guitar is also contributing to the airiness. The use of the open ringing B and E strings creates drones, open notes that ring and do not pit, change pitch. To produce the bottom part of the chord from the bottom up, they are F sharp, C sharp, F sharp, and A sharp. He is pressing the strings down or stopping the strings, which alter the timber or acoustic sound quality of those thick strings. The mix of these timbers and the tangy clashing tones on the thinnest strings are what bring out the unique sound of this particular chord on this particular instrument. Wow. And when I say geeking out, I mean that in a very positive way. I wish I could geek out like that. Uh, actually, at the beginning of his, his email to me, Nathan said, this is where I geek out, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but the funniest thing, probably the funniest thing that anyone has ever asked me in my entire life is what Nathan asked at the end of this email. Are you serious? Yeah. So after he goes through all of that, that explanation that I can't even comprehend, he says, agree or disagree? <laughs> How about neither? How about I don't know, even know? I don't, I can't agree or disagree. Uh, well, I'm sure the, um, the musicians that listen to this podcast, and there are many, will understand what he's talking about. Yeah. All I know is that it sounds amazing. I'm just amazed by how much is behind that one chord. And Alex putting that much thought into, into that one chord that I'm sure he did. Oh, you know, he did. Yeah, he absolutely did. Oh, yeah. He absolutely did. I mean, he's brilliant. He is brilliant, especially on, on this particular song. The solos and, oh, man, I, I don't even have the words. I shouldn't even be talking about this song, I don't think. <laughs> well, we talked about how it, it kind of picks up where Cygnus X1 Book 1 left off. And you remember I talked about, when we talked about A Farewell to Kings, that tight sound that they have. On Cygnus X yeah. One Book One, that continues yeah. here in this prelude section yeah, absolutely. of Book Two. Yeah. And it's just amazing just how in sync these guys are. Yeah, definitely. This is just a singular achievement. Even among, even for Rush, when it comes to their epic songs, I think this is the best. Well, this is the pinnacle. And um, famously, uh, I forget where I read this also, but this song almost broke the band, really. I mean, they just, yeah. this was such an arduous process to put this song together. Yeah. That they just, I think, decided, hey, we're not going to do this anymore, man. Yeah, definitely. This is the height of their prog powers, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess I guess so. And Getty's bass sound is just amazing. And the percussion, Neil's drums. I mean, all three of them are just... I mean, I can't single out one member of the band that's... Oh, you never can. You never can. All three of them are just amazing on this song. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. This song has so many words in it. <laughs> I printed it out. You know, I usually print out the lyrics so I can write about them in the margins. And this is three and a half pages long. Wow. It is incredible how many, how many words are in this song. Yeah. So the prelude, Jared, there's just a couple of stanzas here. So this is the, the gods of love and reason coming together for battle, I suppose, correct? They're trying to influence how human beings act, which I guess is what all the Greek gods did. Mm -hmm. And neither of these gods wants to yield any ground to the other. No. Well, now we 
Um, it's it's not exactly clear to me at the beginning. You know, when he says, "When our weary world was young, the struggle of the ancients first began." I'm not sure if he's talking about the ancients, which are people, or whether or not they're gods. But other than that, I think what happens next is that that first stanza just kind of sets up the entire song in like four lines. Right. And then they follow it up with they battle through the ages, but still neither force force would yield. The people were divided. Every soul a battlefield. That is just an incredible. This is like a Greek chorus at the beginning of some plays, you know, where they come and they kind of set the stage or explain exactly what's going to happen. And that's what this does without, without this, I'm not so sure the song would be as effective as it is. Right. So, so sort of mirrors what's happening today, you know, with conservatives and liberals. I mean, people are taking sides more than ever before. And in this song, they're either siding with Apollo or Dionysus here. Yeah, that is exactly right. So, uh, part two, Jer, is Apollo bringer of wisdom. Yeah, this is an interesting part of the song because it goes from that kind of that prelude, that kind of Greek chorus, to Apollo speaking, mm-hmm. telling the piece, basically make, making his pitch to the people about why they should follow him, like a like a political rally almost. Mm-hmm. The the interesting thing, you know, it's I bring truth and understanding. So he brings the the truth, which you can also get from like creativity, mm-hmm. which is you know Dionysus's deal. Dionysus's. Dionysus's, I would think, yeah. A Dionysus's deal. But Apollo also brings an understanding of the truth. So you think that's kind of like twisting the knife on Dionysus there? Oh, yeah. You think? Yeah, yeah. I bring truth and understanding. Okay, I didn't interpret it that way, but I, I can see it. And then I bring wit and wisdom fair. Again, you know, you can be witty, creatively witty, but Apollo's like, yeah, you can be witty, you know, but do you have any wisdom? Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, and then he says at the end, you know, I can make you all aware, which I just love because it reminds me of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. He's kind of telling them, you know, if you follow me, not only will you, you know, have reason to understand the world around you, but you'll, well, you'll be able to understand the world around you mm-hmm. better on an everyday kind of thing. Right. You'll have that knowledge. Yeah, you'll have the knowledge. And you'll have the all the skills, which is what the next little little uh, stanza says. You know, I will find you food and shelter, show you fire to keep you warm through the endless winter storm. So when you have like that logical part of your brain working, then, you know, you'll be able to build a fire. You'll be able to construct cities and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's really, he's doing a hard sell right here. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I'm in, Jer. Yeah, you're in. Apollo, baby. I'm all for Apollo. <laughs> Your team Apollo? Yeah. T- well, right now I am. I, I might be swayed by Dionysus later, but right now I'm loving Apollo. Yeah. You know, the one thing I, I wanted to talk about is just the, the rhyme scheme of this entire song. Oh, yeah. It's great. It is great. I don't know. If I'm, you know, when you try to dissect the rhymes in poetry or whatever, you sign uh, similar rhymes, the same letter. Mm-hmm. So... It goes, I bring truth and understanding, wit and wisdom fair, precious gift beyond compare. So compare and fair rhyme, but understanding doesn't rhyme with either of those. As in, we can build a world of wonder. Wonder doesn't rhyme with anything else. Right. But then I can make you all aware. Rhymes with compare and fair. Yeah, so it's it would be A, B, B, C, B. That's how you would describe that. Okay, and, and all of the verses go like that. Well, all of the... So Apollo, when he's speaking, and then Dionysus, when he's speaking, they go that way. The other ones don't. But it's just an interesting way to set Apollo and Dionysus apart from the rest of the lyrics, because they have this unusual rhyme scheme. It's, it's incredible. This, yeah. the, the structure of this song is just layer upon layer. 
and it's absolutely incredible. This I love this this rhyming convention that he only uses those two times. And and it has to be deliberate, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And what I love in this part of the song, and again in the uh, Dionysus section, is the the silence stops throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just something something about that that's just great. Well, they're well placed. Yeah, in the song, and you know when the lyrics hit a certain spot, the song just stops mm-hmm. and then just picks right back up again. It's I'm telling you, Steve. it kind of like hooks you in right there, you know. Yeah, because you're just waiting for the, you know, they're waiting for the 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 beat to drop. You're like what, what's gonna what? <laughs> <laughs> just amazing. But anyway, back to the lyrics. Yes. So then, after this quote from after Apollo, you know, gives his big speech on the, the podium or whatever, his train stop speech. That's when we shift focus to like a omniscient narrator who just tells what happens to all the people when they take Apollo's advice, mm-hmm. right? Now, so the people were delighted coming forth to claim their prize, which you would assume is truth and wisdom and all that kind of stuff. Right. They ran to build their cities and converse among the wise. So they're like, let's get stuff done, right? Yeah. We have all of this knowledge about these truths. Let's find some practical application for it. So they're building cities and, you know, having talks in coffee houses and whatnot. Chatting among their smart friends. Yeah. But they find it's kind of hollow, all of this achievement without love and and creativity yeah but one day the streets felt silent yet they knew not what was wrong the urge to build these fine things seemed not to be so strong and then the wise men were consulted and the bridge of death was crossed in quest of dionysus to find out what they had lost they'd gained so much from apollo but they lost something in that bargain and that's what we go to dionysus for so they're going to seek out dionysus and uh, find out what he has to say yeah okay that's what he does he steps so, up to the plate and takes a swing at it. He's like, okay, how about this? <laughs> all right. So then we move on to, to section three of the song, Dionysus, the bringer of love. Now, musically, this is the same as part two. It's just Dionysus speaking, but it's a little bit... A little different. ...slower, right? Yeah, yep. It just slows down a little bit, like um, a love song, almost. Yeah. (laughs) And this, again, has the same rhyme scheme as before, A, B, B, C, A. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, I bring love to give you solace in the darkness of the night. So, you know, when uh, previously when they're following Apollo or whatever, they would do all these things. But if there's a moment of doubt or if they need some kind of solace, like they said, they have nothing to go to. Mm -hmm. So Dionysus is like, well, that's what I can provide. So that's really important to need to have solace in the middle of the night. Right. And he says, you need only trust your feelings. Only love can steer you right, which is something a politician would say. Yes. (laughs) Only, I'm the only one, only (laughs) Only my views are correct. Right. If you do this, then you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So he's doing others. He says, I bring laughter, I bring music, I bring joy, and I bring tears. That sounds, that's amazing, right? Yeah, I don't get music with Team Apollo. <laughs> you don't get music with Team Apollo. You know what? I think I'm on Team Dionysus now, man. <laughs> Forget Apollo. He sucks. Yeah, he's going to soothe your primal fears. Yeah, which you, I need that. Which I know you have a lot of. Oh, of course. Yeah. And the best line, probably the best line of the song. I had this written down too. Go ahead. Throw off those chains of reason and your prison disappears. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, again, the hard sell. He's, he's promising way more than he can deliver. With that oh, line. totally. Totally. But yeah. I'm buying it. I'm in, man. Team Dionysus. Now <laughs> you're Team Dionysus? <laughs> so, you know, so then we go back to that omniscient narrator and the, and the, the people, you know, make a hard left. They yeah. They were doing all these practical things and now they're just like, Okay, well, that didn't work out. Let's just go in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. So the cities were abandoned and the forests echoed song. They danced and lived as brothers, for they knew love could not be wrong. It's like, this time, this time we got it. This is, this is definitely the way to go. Like me, they're easily swayed, Jer. <laughs> Their primal fears have been soothed, right? Food and wine, they had a plenty and they slept beneath the stars. 
the people were contented and the gods watched from afar, which is an interesting thing to throw in there, don't you think? Oh, yeah. The gods in Greek mythology are always doing that to people. They're like convincing them to do things and then they're just like, oh, what's going to happen next? Even though they know that they're messing things up because they just love drama. They're all drama queens. It's like that ant farm you have, Jerry. You throw something in there, see what happens. Yeah, I did have an ant farm <laughs> a long time ago. I felt bad for the ants. Were you Dionysus or Apollo to them? <laughs> well, the ant farm, they just, they work and they work and they work. And then, you know, if you knock into it, then all the, the little caves cave in on them. And then they just have to go back and dig them out again. But you're like the God watching from afar, just watching them move their leaves around, you know? Yeah. That's how I live my life anyway. I just watch everything from afar. <laughs> what happens next, of course, is that since they're out drinking and playing music and all that kind of fun stuff in the forest, they didn't prepare for the winter. You know, it's the ant and the grasshopper. Do you ever you know that, that parable of the ant and the grasshopper? Oh, sure. You know, they, the grasshoppers on a plane is fiddle or whatever, thinking that someone's going to take care of them. Like the ants, maybe, who have been stocking up food for <laughs> months and months and months. Right. So that's what happened to them. And uh, with an empty belly, you, you're not having much fun. There's no music and dancing when you're starving. How come they don't have grasshopper farms? You could have an ant farm and a grasshopper farm and <laughs> see, how they, see how they both handle things. I wonder how, yeah, I wonder if grasshoppers prepare anything. They probably don't. Why are ants the only insects that we put in little glass cages and watch? Wow. Jeez, you're leaving me speechless. I don't know. Why? Why would we do that? I love ants, though. Have you ever watched documentaries on ants? Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, they are insane. I was watching an episode of Better Call Saul the other day, and there was a... I saw that, too. The, the, the ants, that scene with the ants yep. was amazing. It was. It was. Watch Better Call Saul. It's great. Yeah, it comes back and his ice cream cone is gone. Right. But, but that whole scene was kind of a metaphor for the whole episode, you yep. know? Yep. He had a little ice cream cone at the beginning. Yeah. Dropped it when he got into the car. When he came back, it was all gone, devoured by insects. <laughs> kind of like he just was. Exactly. Exactly, Steve. Tune into our Battle Carl Saul uh, podcast. Coming yeah, soon. exactly. <laughs> Moving on to uh, section four of this song, Jer. We've got Armageddon, the battle of heart and mind. Yeah, Armageddon. So the music in this section, Jar, sounds to me like the gods are kind of charging towards each other. Do you get that vibe? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely feel it. This is uh, almost like a battle song. Mm -hmm. The way it just charges along, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's yeah. another thing that's brilliant about this song, that the music fits the lyrics so well. It does. And Getty just sings his ever-loving heart out. Oh, yeah. he's having a hard time. I wonder if that gave him a little extra push. He was struggling so hard maybe to hit some notes, mm -hmm. but he had to go for it anyway. Yeah. So it gave him a little extra, little extra oomph in his voice because you could definitely hear it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he did an amazing job. I mean, I know he struggled through this, but it turned out fantastic. Yeah. Actually, I want to, can we stop the podcast right now so I can go listen to it and then we'll come back and finish? <laughs> <laughs> so I listened, good. To, I listened to this song four times today. It was great. Yeah. I've been driving around a lot in the mornings before I start work just to get out of the house. Oh, that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. And that's what I've been, li I've been listening to this album all week. Very cool. It's a great driving album. So the lyrics of this section, Jerry, your thoughts. I think this is where the people start taking sides, right? I get the feeling at the, be at the beginning of the song that everyone followed Apollo for a while mm -hmm. and were disgruntled. Then everybody followed Dionysus for a while. And that didn't work either. Like I did. Like you did, man. You grasshopper. <laughs> And I think here, the people are, have taken sides. Yeah. You know, some are just advocating, you know, building things and shut up with that music stuff. And the other people are just like, no, only, even though, hey, sure, we starved a little bit, but this is really the way to live because you're just going to be unfulfilled the other way. Mm. Right? So the universe divided as the heart and mind collided with the people left unguided. So I don't think that Apollo, you know, Apollo was helping them out at the beginning, right? I will bring you 
this. I will bring you this. And then Dionysus, when he's taking over, I bring you love. I do this. But when they start fighting with each other, nobody's helping them. Mm-hmm. They're left completely on their own to figure it out for themselves. Like you left the ants. <laughs> like I left those ants. <laughs> <laughs> for so many troubled years in a cloud of doubts and fears, the world was torn asunder into hollow hemispheres. Wow. Love that line. And th- this has got to be, God, this is so good. The, just the way it's sung and just how the music just coincides with the lyrics, you know. Some fought themselves, some fought each other. Most just followed one another, lost and aimless like their brothers. For their hearts were so unclear and the truth could not appear. Their spirits were divided into blinded hemispheres. And this is where Getty's voice is just way in that high register, and it's great. Yeah. So for, for me, you know, the beginning of it, most just followed one another. It's kind of like, like the blind leading the sightless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just somebody's moving in a direction. And so everyone else is just also moving in that direction, even though the person who maybe started the movement has no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it kind of turns and the music has a more positive tone when yeah, we get into this next end. section. Yeah. But I wanted to point out again in, in a couple of lyrics, in a couple of lines, you know, he says, lost the name is like their brothers, for their hearts were so unclear and the truth could not appear. So both aspects, Apollo and Dionysus, right? The truth and the heart. Mm-hmm. They can't find either one when they're in this kind of battle mode. Right. Here's where the positivity comes in, like you said, right? Right, there right. There are some people who didn't fight and instead told. It says, well, some who did not fight brought tales of old to light. My Rasinante sailed by night on her final flight. Harkening back to, to book one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's difficult. I've never really understood, and I couldn't find anything in searching online, whether or not it's sort of like a, like a myth that, a, that one day someone will come to bring balance to the world, right? Because he says, uh, you know, some who did not fight brought tales of old to light. So I wonder if the, if the traveler in the Rasinante has been like some folk tale that's been told for years and years and years. Oh, okay. But I don't know. Hmm. Because then it shifts, you know, from being like a, a third person kind of narration to my Rasinante sailed by night on a Right, right. So then we're in the first person now. Right. Which makes me wonder whether or not the other uh, descriptions of what happened are this guy who becomes Cygnus, if he's the one describing them. Right, yeah. See, that, that was my interpretation. And this, this story is being told by him. Right, yeah. I think that's right. And now at this point, he's talking about himself, so he switches to the first person. Right, because he set up the whole thing where they did one thing, it didn't work. They did another thing, it didn't work. Now they're fighting about him, and this is where I come in. Right. This is where I come in and set the whole thing straight. This is basically Cygnus bragging, this entire song. Oh, yeah, that's true. I solved this whole thing, man. <laughs> so you're not Team Cygnus. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm Team Cygnus now. He's the bringer of balance, man. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. I'm easily swayed, Jar. I'm on Team yeah. Cygnus now. <laughs> He's riding that Rosinante in and saving the day. Saving the day. So what do you think of um, part five, Bringer of Balance? Yeah, I, I think it's great. I love this part. And I love the effect yeah. on Getty's voice here. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. I think his vocals are the best at this point. Both, both the part it drops where, down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just great. The first three stanzas where they have the effect on his voice. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just great. And, yep. and the final section must have been so hard to sing. Again, just, yeah. a, just a high register. I mean, such a high register. But it sounds so great. It's amazing. Yep. And and the other thing I love is at the beginning, we, we say we're hearkening back to Cygnus book one. You can hear that, that bass from Cygnus book one yep. in the distance yep. in this section of the song, Yeah, which I think is really cool too. Yeah, what are your cool. thoughts? Very cool. 
Um, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, he's talking about himself now. He says, I have memory and awareness, but I have no shape or form. As a disembodied spirit, I am dead and yet unborn. It's great. It's another great line. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he gets from, you know, whatever universe he was in, then through the black hole and he comes here. So I don't know if he, it's his afterlife. Well, I don't well, know what. Well, this brings us back to what we were discussing in A Farewell to Kings. My interpretation of book one is that he dies in this black hole. He's not necessarily a living being here, right? He's a disembodied spirit, no? Yeah. So is he? So he's he's passed into Olympus as a god, right? That what's happened. I, that's what I think. I don't think he's a human. Yeah. I think no. maybe he he's a god. Maybe he's he some kind he, of- he went into this black hole to you know to bring balance he's the chosen one to the force (laughs) (laughs) exactly balance to the force i was thinking the same thing (sighs) we do not need a prequel to hemispheres though no no we don't (laughs) could george lucas have barred from neil peart in some weird way oh that would be great if he did bring balance to the force maybe he maybe he's he digs this song jar maybe he does why wouldn't he yeah, so he gets to Olympus and he's, he sees the gods in battle rage on high, thunderbolts across the sky. But then he, he starts to scream, right? Mm-hmm. And then all at once the chaos ceased, the stillness fell, a sudden peace. The warriors felt my silent cry and stayed their struggle, mystified. Getty again here is just, uh, his voice is so great here. Yeah. The way he says mystified mm-hmm. is, is just a, a great, a great thing. And, you know, it, it's sort of like they, everybody, it's a silent cry, right? So it's, everybody just kind of has this feeling all of a sudden, and then they stop their struggle against each other. Cause everyone's mm-hmm. just like, you know, what are we doing? They finally have a, some kind of realization, almost like Buddha, mm-hmm. you know, under that tree or whatever, he else, out of nowhere just becomes enlightened for no reason whatsoever. And I think that's what happens here. Yeah. And then he gets to tell Apollo and Dionysus his story, but I don't know what that story is. What do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. Apollo was astonished. Dionysus thought me mad, but they heard my story further and they wondered and were sad. But what's the story? Maybe the story of uh, traveling into the black hole. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a sad story. Yeah. He gets torn to bits. Gets torn to bits. Doesn't get sadder than that. (laughs) <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Spaghettiification. <laughs> exactly. And then they make him uh, a god. Cygnus. God of balance. Yeah. Because he flew into the, you know, the black hole of Cygnus X1. And I love the line, we will call you Cygnus, the god of balance you shall be. Because he brought balance to everyone's lives. In that mm-hmm. one moment, they realized that these two seemingly opposite ways to live are just two halves of one whole. Yeah. Very well done, Jerry. Very, very good breakdown so far. I'm, I'm digging this. Yeah. And I do want to say that I, I didn't mention earlier uh, in this section, another fantastic Alex guitar solo. There's a couple of solos throughout this song. I mean, just amazing. And But during this last section is the best solo, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why, I, that's why I'm bringing it up here. And I really think that, again, it's one of these Alex solos that was just improvised. In the moment. You think and so? It so- oh, it sounds it to me. Don't, doesn't it to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he always sounds like that to me. His solos always sound like that. That's what Just- makes him so brilliant to me. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we discussed this before. I mean, it, he's almost the opposite of Neil in a good way. I mean, Neil's amazing, but he's so technical and everything's just so perfectly laid out. And Alex is just yep. so emotional and in the moment. It's, yeah. I think, the contrast between Alex and Neil is 
is really good throughout Rush's career. Are you trying to say that Neil is Apollo and Alex is Dionysus? Ooh, maybe I am trying to say that. <laughs> and Getty Cygnus. <laughs> That's right. Yes, we figured it out. He's the bridge between the two of them. There you go. The God of balance, Getty shall be. Yeah, that's right. I think I think we I think we figured it out. We cracked the code. We cracked the code. So, Jared, the last part of the song, the sphere, a kind of dream. Yeah. We can walk our road together if our goals are all the same. We can run alone and free if we pursue a Let the truth of love be lighted. Let the love of truth shine clear. Sensibility, armed with sense and liberty. With the heart and mind united in a single perfect. The acoustic guitar in this part, I mean, amazing. Yeah, this coda is just the most amazing way to sum up the entire song. And it's, it has nothing to do like with the, with the tone of the song, right? It just kind of breaks down to an acoustic guitar. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fabulous. And, you know, when we talked to Liz Swan, yes. this was like her, this was, this was her thing. This is her mantra. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why it's called a kind of dream, though. That makes me a little wary that maybe maybe people can't live this way. Maybe this was all a dream? Or maybe people, you know, it's a dream that people would live this way. Oh, well, that, that's possible. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes more sense but, than it just being a dream in general. Yeah. Or maybe it's a, it's a kind of dream because it is so perfect. Yeah. So these people are living a kind of dream. I see that interpretation. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm just going to read it because... No, you should. It's, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. So it goes, we can walk our road together if our goals are all the same. We can run alone and free if we pursue a different aim. Let the truth of love be lighted. Let the love of truth shine clear. Sensibility armed with sense and liberty. With the heart and mind united in a single perfect sphere. It really is amazing. And, and I, I think this is, this is the way Rush wanted to live, the way Neil wanted to live. Sums up their... Their sensibilities, no? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just, again, like, wordplay, the way that Neil puts words together. Let the truth of love be lighted. Let the love of truth shine clear. You know, the lighting and shining, they're doing the same thing, right? The truth of love and the love of truth, the two halves, they're both equally bright. And then sensibility armed with sense and liberty. You know, he's basically saying that you take the words sense and liberty and they become the word sensibility. Yeah, that's great. It's crazy good. And the heart and mind united in a single perfect sphere. When I got married, Jer, I had to write my wedding vows. I should have just used this. <laughs> People would have been crying. No one would have known where I it could, was from, but they would have been I, like, oh, I, wow, he's such a poet. I, I would know where it's from. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine... You standing there with your wife to be going, we can walk our road together if our goals are all the same. <laughs> that would have been amazing. I wish I thought of it. I would have done it. She's like looking at you crying and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, he's, he's quoting hemispheres. <laughs> she wouldn't know where it was from. No. She would have been bawling. Oh my gosh, <laughs> a single perfect spear. How beautiful. <laughs> oh man. Oh. And I just love the end of the song, how it just ends with that, you know, acoustic chord yeah, ringing it's, out. It's great. It's great. I mean, it really, I don't know. I, I keep saying this. I said this about Close to the Heart the other day. This is a perfect Rush song, too. It is a perfect Rush song. A lot of Rush songs are perfect. Yeah. Almost all of them are perfect. I, I think every time I listen to this song, when it gets to the end, this acoustic part is such a great way to almost unwind. Yeah. From the intense craziness of the entire song. Exactly. It's like you're coming down from the high or something, you know? Yeah. And when it ends, it's just like, oh, it's always like a sigh, not of relief, but it's just, 
just admiration. It's weird. When I listen to that song, I almost feel disappointed it's over. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. It's a weird thing about it. It's 18 minutes long and it feels like, oh, that's it? Yeah. I want more. Same way. Well, thankfully, we have another side. We do. And we're going to talk about that next week. Yep. But I think, as Nathan did in his email to you, we've geeked out quite enough here on this song. And I hope people stuck with us through the geeking. I hope so. With the geeking. (laughs) We're very good at geeking, Jared. I don't know if you realize that. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. I think that's a compliment. Again, I mean that in a good way. Yeah, of course. So any final thoughts on um, book two before we wrap this up, Jared? No. It really, really is an amazing song. (laughs) It's It's an achievement. It's an achievement. And Rush should be, I'm sure they were proud of this. They had to be. They had to be. And after this, as we mentioned, they probably said, you know what? We're never doing that again. Well, I think that's really what happened. Yeah. Right? They, they, they shied away from the crazy long songs for the most part, right? They still had Jacob's Ladder and Natural the Science. Camera Eye, Natural Science. But for the most part, you know, the album side song, this is it. This is the swan song. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, take a song like Jacob's Ladder, for instance, that pales in comparison to this as far as how difficult it would be to perform. Yeah, definitely. So, yep. so I think, I think that's what it was. It wasn't, Hey, too long for us. It's just too arduous a process to do this on every record. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at rush Fancast, Instagram, the rush cast, email Jerry, send him your thoughts on hemispheres, whether you agree with his assessment and my assessment or not, let us know the rushcast at gmail.com. What do you think about Nathan's assessment of the chord? Yeah. That was a great breakdown. Yeah, I'd like to hear what our listeners think of that. So, Jerry, you have a quote for me to wrap things up. I do. Great. And it is, I have memory and awareness, but I have no shape or form. As a disembodied spirit, I am dead and yet unborn. That's great. Thank you. Brilliant. Talk to you soon. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye.